The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JeremyCarthy74. On this week's show, AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran reviews round three of the new AFLW season 7.0, the first of two Indigenous rounds, and looks ahead to this weekend's biggest matchups. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie reviews this past weekend's Italian Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen moved one step closer to another driver's title, with news on Ferrari, Mercedes and an annoying safety car finish. Echolive.ie and Echo Newspaper Chief Subeditor Rory Noonan reviews the latest round of the Cork Ladies Football Club Senior and Intermediate Junior Championships and previews this weekend's big matchups, including the much-anticipated Morabi and Aerog rerun of last year's county final. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan reviews Munster under 18.5's narrow loss to Leinster in the Interpros and as all the latest club and pro contract news. So that's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran is back on the Big Red Bench to review the third round of matches from the exciting new AFLW season 7.0. Mike and I run through each of this past weekend's games, the first of two Indigenous rounds where there was wins for Adelaide, Brisbane, the Giants, Collingwood, Brisbane and much, much more. Mike analyses all the Irish players' performances and looks ahead to this weekend's big matchups. And we also have the latest AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Year season standings following the end of round three. Now, round three of the AFLW season 7.0 down under is in the books. Loads of headlines, lots of good positive stories as well from the Irish players involved. So only one person on the planet to turn to in that regard. And that is our own AFLW Ireland expert and coach to the stars and coach to all of those 22 Irish players out in Australia. And uh, that is Mike Curran. Mike, how are you? Sure, very good. It's heating up in the AFLW for sure. Is it what? Now, before we launch into the recap of round three and all the games and the scores and the highlights, it's worth mentioning that rounds three and four of this season in the AFLW season 7.0 are Indigenous rounds. And these rounds uh, of football highlight and celebrate the contributions of the First Nations people to the game of Australian rules football and to the broader community. So it's great to see that. It's great to see that celebrated. And also it's great to see the different uh, jerseys or guernseys, I think as they're called, in, in, the, in these particular rounds. It just adds to the spectacle um, of an already very, very interesting and intriguing season. We start, Mike, on f- last Friday and an absolute cracker between the Western Bulldogs and the Fremantle Dockers where a late goal uh, saw the Bulldogs continue the perfect start to the season and uh, a disappointing start for Fremantle continues. It does, Jared. Fremantle travelled to Icon desperately needing a win and they didn't get it. Instead, as you said, the Western Bulldogs have now the perfect start. Three wins from three and they wouldn't have believed that. So they'll be delighted with that position. But Dockers now in the unenviable position of three losses. They've just come off the bottom of the table just based on goal difference, but still not where they want to be. And it really was an arm wrestle of a game, I suppose, from start to finish. And it could have gone anyway, in fairness. But the Bulldogs snatched it late despite Fremantle working exceptionally hard to try and turn the tide of the previous weeks. No one worked harder than Irish star Anya Tai, who was running all night in attack. And in fact, it was Anya's ability to transition from aerial ball to impacting at ground level that created her side's first two goals. And she actually scored the first goal on the night herself and was brilliant throughout. Uh, five tackles, another notable a statistic for her across the evening, but still no win. We also again saw Amy Mulholland and Orla Lally featuring uh, strong enough display from Amy Mulholland with uh, six disposes and three tackles. But 
all Irish Dockers are still in search of their first win. And I don't think it's going to get any easier this weekend when they have Carlton coming to Fremantle. But they now desperately, desperately need a win or their season could be over before it's begun. Yeah, tough going for free already, definitely. But uh, hopefully uh, for the Irish players involved, maybe a surprise or a shock win might turn their season around. We move on to Saturday and the Adelaide Crows defeating the North Melbourne Kangaroos 30-16 at the only oval. The reigning premiers looking ominous with two wins in a row. Kangaroos now have dropped their last their last two games. But there was good news for Vicky Wall and Eric O'Shea with two good performances yet again, Mike. Two good performances, yeah, and it was a great start to the Kangaroos to the game, actually. They took the first two goals and, and took a lead in the first quarter, and two of those goals, of course, one of those was by Vicky Wall. She scored her first ever AFLW goal, and a great goal it was, and great celebration, so delighted to see that uh, for Vicky. But from then on, it was Adelaide that battled back, and in a very tough contest, in fairness, it, they saw the size level at three-quarter time, um, it was just Adelaide that took it in the last quarter. A key move in the game saw the Crows coach Matthew Clark push captain Chelsea Randall, who is now proving that she can play anywhere and do any role on a tagging role on um, North midfielder Jasmine Gardner, who had been dominant in the first half. And that kind of um, negated her influence on the game and, and the Crows took over from there. So two wins in a row for the Crows were bouncing back and two losses in a row now for the Kangaroos. But as you say, Vicky Wall, brilliant. And also another steady display from Eric O'Shea as well. Yes, uh, something for the Kangaroos to, to look forward to, I suppose, the fact that their two Irish imports are getting better with each passing game, but a disappointing result, but the Premier is looking ominous as they can pick up uh, an important win. On Saturday as well, this past weekend, the SCG hosted a first ever New South Wales derby with the Giants hammering the Sydney Swans. Uh, Cora Staunton um, locked in a bit of a battle with Alana Woodward for the majority of it, but she managed to wriggle free and got some important scores. Oh, she did, and, and that was brilliant to watch from start to finish. Look, at this was a massive occasion at the Sydney Cricket Ground, as you said, the first ever derby up there, um, the first ever Giants and Swans game, but it really was the Giants who flexed their muscles over their cross-city expansion neighbours. Uh, a massive 47-point win in the end, but, of course, the first win of the season for Giants, so great to see that. They were just too good for them all around, and that score of 65 points is their highest ever AFLW score, as it turns out. Uh, and also remember and add a bit of spice to the game a number of previous Giants were now playing for the Swans including young rook Ali Morfitt who was one of the Swans best players but a major positive for the Giants was the overall team performance they've lost some key players in the last couple of weeks themselves along with Fremantle are probably the, the two teams that are suffering most on the injury list at the moment remember their key strong midfielder Tate Mackerel their Aussie rugby sevens player Chloe Dalton and their key defender Pepper Randall are all gone in the last week so a brilliant result for the Giants and Cora Cora was brilliant we saw an intriguing battle um, defender Alana Woodward stuck to her like glue and boy did Cora Staunton not like that she's not used to it she visibly was not impressed but she got two brilliant goals and was very quick to let her opposite number know about it after the first one. That's a great feature as well. But look, it just goes to show no matter how hard you try to keep Cora down, you're not going to keep her quite for a full game. So a brilliant result for um, Giants. And of course, Breed Stack, solid as well, as always, throughout the game and even doing some rough, rough work and coming out with two hit outs. 
Brilliant stuff, yeah. You, there's never a bad time to watch Coruscant getting angry, but what a player she is. Like, we just forget, I think, some of the we take her for granted with the two goals and two behinds, despite the close marking. Still, what a magnificent player she is. Great to see that the fire still burns there as well. On to Saturday and a lower scoring game, but an important win for the Collingwood Magpies. They beat the Cats of Geelong 15 11. Uh, it's pretty, is it, is it a, too much of a cliche here, Mike, to say this was a tight, too tough defences here on top throughout this one? Oh, it definitely was. And look, at we've, we've highlighted across the last two weeks, this is how Geelong play now. Mm. Their whole game plan is based on defence. They're one of the tightest defences in the league. Only one goal scored against them in the previous two rounds. Collingwood only got two at the weekend. But look, at it's a win for Collingwood. They're creeping along nicely with three wins as well. A little bit under the radar, so they'll be absolutely delighted with that. But it was an arm wrestle. There were no goals at all in the first half, and it was level at three-quarter time. So again, this could have gone anywhere, but it was Collingwood who dug, dug it out with the further third win in a row to continue their dream starts of the season. Ashling Sheridan was the best of the Irish again as she continues her brilliant form through the early rounds. Uh, she got on the, the scoreboard with it behind, but she had 15 disposals, six tackles again. Uh, she's become the Irish tackling machine up front there. A little quieter than normal then for Sarah Rowe, who actually conceded a free in the goal square for Geelong's only goal of the game. But no doubt she'll bounce back to top form across the next couple of weekends as well. Indeed she will, yeah. As we said, they're like uh, Geelong obviously building on defence and it's helped them. They're up to fifth in the ladder, um, but it's the Collingwood Magpies, one of four teams undefeated since the start of the season. They're going particularly well. and It'll be interesting to see, can they maintain that momentum to the end of the season, regular season, and into, hopefully into the, uh, the playoffs and later on as well. Um, a much bigger score at the Gabba on, on Saturday saw the Brisbane Lions put up 82 points on the Gold Coast Suns. Uh, Brisbane m- marching to the top of the ladder by virtue of their scoring difference, obviously with 82 points, but that's a savage performance from Brisbane. And they're going well, Mike. They're on fire. Look, at it's just week after week. This was the second derby of the round, but it turned out to be the second demolition derby of the round. Like The Lions blitzed the Suns. It was the Q clash. There was a cup um, up for grabs. It was at the Gabba. It was tight enough for the first 10 minutes, but from then on, um, Lions just took over. Six goals to zero at halftime. It's a record-losing margin for Gold Coast. The Lions have now scored 10-plus goals in every one of their three games so far. Their midfield is on fire. Emily Bates, Ali Anderson, Katty Schwark. Throw in Orlo Dwyer on the wing beside those three, who is magnificent again. Uh, she had two behinds for the night with 17 disposals, three marks, three tackles, named amongst the best on ground, week in, week out. That engine room in the middle of the Lions team is absolutely blitzing it at the moment. They're in insatiable form. They look the team to beat already, but next week could be the first big test as they actually travel to Melbourne to take on the Demons. And that's at Casey Fields. Both teams try to get that move to Marvel Stadium during the week, but it's been confirmed it's staying at Casey. Melbourne will actually favour that because that's a notorious pitch due to the swirling wind conditions down there. And Melbourne really lo- or rarely lose at home. So it'd be an interesting one out to see how the Lions fare against that opposition next weekend. Indeed it will and uh, let's segue into that because the following day on Sunday afternoon uh, the Demons put up 46 points in their victory over St Kilda 46-20 maintaining their 100% start um, at RSEA Park um, and the Demons were rebranded for the weekend as NARM for the AFLW's Indigenous round. They're 3-0, and they're looking really, really good and uh, this is a team we're going to have to keep an eye on towards the end of the season. Oh, it is without question. Uh, and look, as you said, they're still undefeated. It was a six-goal blitz in the first quarter that did all the damage. The game was effectively over after 15 minutes. To St Kilda's credit, they showed a lot of courage and fight from then on to hold Melbourne goalless for the rest of the game, but they were never going to get back for the win. 
this has been their biggest challenge to date. They had two wins coming into last weekend, but remember they were both against expansion sides, so it was their biggest test. Clara Fitz was steady and reliable as always for the Saints, um, battling throughout the game. She did uh, a lot of work work in this round and had actually six hitouts from the Rook. Clara was the only Irish on show at the moment. Again, Blaine Macken was named as an emergency. The news coming from Melbourne is that she's getting closer and closer to a debut. It's just a matter of an opportunity and when that arises. So hopefully we'll see her soon. And of course, Sinead Gold is due to return across the next round or two from her injury. And so is Grace Kelly for the Saints. So hopefully a lot more Irish coming into both those teams. But yeah, a big win for Melbourne. And again, they're undefeated. And that clash with Lions next weekend now becomes a critical one. Oh, that's going to be an absolute cracker. I know we're going to be talking a little bit more about that probably next week. Two teams informed, to put it mildly, uh, one of the four unbeaten teams at the top of the ladder. Also last Sunday, a rarity, Mike, or is it? A draw in the AFLW at Icon Park. The Carton Blues, 27 in Port Adelaide, 27. The Blues had a chance to win it late on. And can I put it to you that a, a draw is, you know, it's an unusual result in, in Australian rules, but it's probably going to affect Carlton more as they look to get into that top eight. I think it is. Look at it. It's it's unusual. It's it's it, it does happen now and again. There's ha- there's been a draw, a couple of draws across the last number of seasons, but this is the first one of season seven. And I suppose you could look at it both ways. Port Adelaide came agonising close to their first win, uh, despite Carlton probably having a lot more of the game and, and a shot at the siren at the end to take the win. So Port are possibly going to be happier with the the points for the draw. Uh, they might have deserved the win. They led by thirteen at half time, but again as is often the case when these top experienced teams are playing their expansion clubs, a little bit of experience told in the end and Carlton got themselves back into it in a very a very good uh, second half. But Port's first win might just come next weekend as they host Sydney Swans. They're very good, very impressive so far and, and close to deserving of a win. But just remember, Carlton are also a very good side, um, former grand finalists. So um, they'll probably feel that they'll let points slip in this one. Indeed, yeah, let's see if that uh, result comes back to haunt them. Hopefully not for the end of the season. They're just outside the top eight at the moment, Carlton, but as you said, a long way to go. Also last Sunday evening, Richmond Tigers getting off the mark at the expense, unfortunately, of the hapless Hawthorne Hawks. 44-6, but a real boost for Richmond, Mike. It was, look, it was the first Tigers' first win of the season as well. So both teams were winless going into this one. So whoever won it was going to get their first win of the season. As it turned out, it was Richmond. And they did dominate the midfield for most of the game. All of their midfields got on the scoreboard. But they also dominated um, marks and contested marks. And therefore, that got them more possession and territory on the field. Uh, so it was a big win in the end. But Aileen Gilroy is the talking point of this one, the only Irish player on show, but she was sensational for the Hawks. Her work rate was insane. She was all over the ground. She played in multiple positions, defence, midfield and attack. She was one of three Irish players to receive coaches' votes this week. She was the Hawks player of the week. She's our own AFLW Ireland Irish player of the year for round three, and we'll talk about that a bit more in a few seconds. But she was brilliant. 17 disposals, 16 kicks, 12 tackles. Uh, She's only the second Irish player ever to hit 100 ranking points for a game across seven seasons. So sensational for Maylene. She was absolutely brilliant and she settled into her role and just remember that was on a a losing side as well. So uh, hopefully we now will see Anya McDonough make her appearance in the next few weeks as well as she continues her recovery from a rib injury and Hawthorne continue in search of that first win. 
They do, but what a season. I had it written down here as a point, but you, you've already covered it. What a season Aileen Gilroy is having. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the AFLW Ireland rankings, as you said, at the end. But it's great to see her uh, putting in such consistent performances week after week and getting the accolades and the recognition that she deserves. We finish our round three roundup with a, a high-scoring game late on Sunday night. The Essendon Bombers putting 88 points up on the West Coast Eagles. Uh, the Bombers finishing off the weekend in style uh, with that r- ruthless fashion. And Ashley McCarthy... Uh, popping up, as did Essendon's Joanne Doonan in this one. Yes, for sure. And look, it was Essendon who made the trip to, to Perth and Miller Resources Park, but they blitzed the Eagles in the first half. They had uh, five goals straight away to set them on their way to a, a five-point victory. In fact, they actually kicked the opening nine goals of the game. It really took the Eagles a long time to get going there. And that's the highest score of the season across any team for so far for Essendon. So they'll be delighted with that. They were very clean in front of goals, 13 goals, six behinds, so very accurate. Um, Joanne Doonan, as, as you mentioned, featured for Essendon. They'll be very happy now to have two wins from three as a start to the season. Ash Mack, again, what can you say? She was brilliant for the Eagles. Uh, battled all day, again, on, on a losing side. She also scored a brilliant goal. That's a goal in every round for Ashley McCarthy so far. I don't think any other player has done that across the competition. Um, she had 15 disposals overall for tonight, five tackles. But Essendon are looking seriously impressive. Again, they're an expansion team. We thought themselves and Port would be amongst the best of the expansion teams, and, and that's the way it's transpiring. But... These um, the Bombers will go on to win more games. There's no doubt about that. They're looking seriously impressive and they're taking the form from their VFLW Premiership win straight into the AFLW. They very much are. Another action-packed round in the uh, record books, as we said, and that leaves the current ladder uh, for 2022 with four uh, teams uh, at the very top. Brisbane Lions, Collingwood, the Dees and Western Bulldogs all on maximum points, followed by the Cats, the Bombers and St Kilda and the Adelaide Crows on eight and they round off the top eight. This week's uh, round four will begin on Friday with the Kangaroos um, hosting the Cats at the University of Tasmania Stadium on Saturday. The Giants take on the Eagles, the Gold Coast Suns take on St Kilda and Port Adelaide meets Sydney Swan in a big game for both of those teams a win uh, desperately needed as well for Fremantle their bottom without a win they have to beat the Carlton Blues and they'll, uh, they'll be hoping to do that at the Fremantle Oval and uh, Saturday is rounded out then by the Hawks and the Western Bulldogs at Box Hill City Oval on Sunday the Crows uh, and Collingwood at uh, go face-to-face at Victoria Park. The Bombers and Richmond meet at ETU Stadium. But then the big one, right uh, to round off on Sunday, I would imagine, Mike, this is the one you're looking forward to the most along with me. The Melbourne Demons and the Brisbane Lions, two teams at the top of the table, unbeaten, going toe-to-toe and uh, a lot at stake here because a win for either really does push them up uh, and probably gives them outright lead. It does. Look at every game is intriguing at this stage and all the fixtures there have something. But if you look at it, it has to be Lions and Melbourne for game of the round in terms of impact on the competition and followed closely, I'd imagine, by Adelaide Crows versus Collingwood as well. Crows are on the rise and Collingwood are coming off three wins. So this will really test their mettle. So two of the biggest games of the weekend are definitely on Sunday and we'll be looking forward to those. We certainly will. We finish this week, Mike, with the AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. This is something that AFLW Ireland, um, a very prestigious award for the top Irish player in the AFLW uh, for season 7.0. After round three, Aileen Gilroy, um, unsurprisingly, was at the top of the rankings. Yeah, look, it was, a, it was a no-brainer this weekend. Aileen Gilroy, hands down, Irish Player of the Year for round three. Followed closely by Ash Mack again, brilliant in, in despite the Eagles going down. Orlo Dwyer in third was sensational. Then we had Ashling Sheridan, who's probably one of the most consistent Irish players at the moment, week in, week out. 
Anya Tai, who we mentioned was brilliant for the Dockers, and Cora completing the top six for this round with her two-goal contribution, her angry two-goal contribution <laughs> for the, the Giants this weekend. And that leads on into the overall Irish Player of the Year standings after round three. So Ash Mack is out in front with 225 points at the moment, but it is neck and neck behind her. We've got Ashley Sheridan, Anya Tai, and Orla Edouard all on 170 points all tied on the same score, just separated uh, by um, some statistics. And then Aileen Gilroy and Clara Fitzpatrick rounding out to six. So it is very tight at the top in the overall player of the year, but things will change. We're only three rounds in and these players, the main thing they need to do is is stay fit, stay healthy and stay playing and they'll be thereabouts, but anything can happen. Anything can and anything will, Mike, and we'll be back again next week to go back through round four. Thank you very much for your time once again here on the Big Repent, your expert analysis and recap of an action-packed round three of AFLW Season 7.0. Mike, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jerry. It's hard to believe we're talking about round four already, but that's the way it's rolling. So looking forward to it. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Cork's Red FM's resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie, is back for another weekly segment reviewing all the latest F1 news and a full review of the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen wins far too easily and moves another step closer to the title. And Sarah explains how Red Bull's strength denied the Tifosi a triumph at their home GP. De Vries' debut, Albon's health issues, disappointment for Daniel Ricciardo and that hugely annoying safety car finish at the Italian Grand Prix are all covered by Sarah. Delighted to welcome back here on to the Big Red Bench our resident Formula 1 expert to give us the lowdown on the Italian Grand Prix this past weekend at Monza, which was won, of course, by Max Verstappen and Red Bull. But we're delighted to welcome back uh, Sarah McKenzie. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, recovering from a drive down from Dublin after Garth Brooks, like yes. the rest of the country. <laughs> you went up there. Did you wear the Stetson? Had you the full outfit or was it just... I actually uh, didn't. We, okay. None of our group, we, we just kept it very chilled and just enjoyed it. But no, the, the crowd was amazing. It was, uh, it was a great night. Definitely gave us, uh, gave us a lot of energy, which was nice. Uh, well, I, I'm delighted you enjoyed it. I'm delighted. I was in Dublin on Saturday afternoon myself for another, uh, for another not for Gar Brooks, I might stress, but uh, I was up there anyway. But I, I have to admit, um, I said 25 years ago, 20 years ago, he yeah, last played in 25. Dublin. Yeah, I was there uh, in the Point Theatre, as it was called back then, uh, where he played for I think it was six or seven nights solid. Uh, he was sold out. He was he could have played a stadium at that point, but they didn't know yeah. just how popular he was. I'll never forget it because there was. You know, the age group profile of the crowd was anything from six years old to 60. But for the first two or three songs in the point, we were in midway midway through the crowd. I never got to see him because everybody was going nuts and there was people fainting. There was all this. And then he did standing outside the fire. There was a fire on the stage. I didn't know if it was real. Oh, my God. But other than that, uh, fair play to Garth. He's not doing too badly. I love the way he cries at every... I'd be crying too if I sold out Crow Park for five nights in a row and uh, could retire gracefully after it. But look, he's brought a lot of happiness clearly to a lot of people. we're delighted that you enjoyed it, Sarah. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, this will be the end of Garbrooks now for a while, he said. Hopefully, but anyway, we'll move it quickly on. Let's talk about Monza because there's a lot of headlines coming out of it. But I guess the one that's most important is that Max Verstappen and the Red Bull is now one win away, potentially, in Singapore from becoming world champion. Uh, a very powerful performance. And can I put it to you, not just from a driver at the top of his game, but a car now that's clearly the number one car no matter what uh, type of downforce low downforce whatever type of course this car uh, Formula 1 track it goes to it's clearly by far and away now the best car on, on, on the grid and with the best driver in it 
Yeah, 100%. They, and it was interesting because they, they knew that Max was going to have penalties after qualifying on Saturday. So they put more emphasis on setting the car up for race pace as opposed to qualifying because they knew that he was going to have to come through the field a bit. And I mean, it was so easy that there may as well have been no cars in between him and Leclerc. The way he just leapfrogged everyone, it was like, something out of a video game. Um, the the car really is just very, very impressive. And I think, you know, also fair play to the Red Bull strategy team. You know, they keep getting it right. They're a pure, pure example of a team that's drilled to perform consistently at a high level. And I think at one point, Max had built out a 17-second lead as he hunted down the win. And, you know, that's just, that's on another level. It really is. You can't, it doesn't matter how you feel about the guy or the team. It's really, really impressive what they're doing. Um, he was booed by the Tifosi, which isn't that surprising. Disappointing, honestly. I mean, I could start making Ferrari jokes, but really, it, you don't like to see that no matter who it is. No. I don't think it bothers Max, to be quite honest with you, because he's loved just about everywhere else. But from a Tifosi point of view, um, a lot of PR and media, more so than usual, naturally, as it's the home Grand Prix for Ferrari, in the build-up to it, um, qualifying was quite entertaining and uh, it was good to see Ferrari do so well in qualifying but I think your point there is a very good one the reality is even with the grid penalties now so good is the Red Bull car it can take those grid penalties and just carve up you know carve up the carve up the whole grid and get to the front and know that whatever strategy they're up against uh, it's unlikely they're going to be beaten as long as Max can keep it between the lines but your your um, your assessment of second place Charles Leclerc and fourth place uh, Carlos Sainz's performance in the Ferrari this past weekend yeah I think Carlos will probably feel that it was a bit of a forgettable race I think his pace looked strong in the free practice sessions and in qualifying but again as you mentioned he and Leclerc weren't necessarily you couldn't compare apples to apples with Verstappen because he was set up for the race instead of qualifying anyway. So I think that maybe gave the fans a false sense of hope, um, which is you know which is obviously disappointing. Then when the result doesn't come through on Sunday, Leclerc struggled really badly with higher t- tire degradation from kind of early on, and he was being asked to go easy on his tires, which is obviously the very last thing you want to hear when you're trying to win you know, your home Grand Prix, your team's home Grand Prix, and you already know that you're up against this huge challenge. And, you know, they, they gambled a bit also with the pit stops. They brought him in very early under the virtual safety car, which didn't really work out. And then they brought him in again, which people kind of question because it's generally well accepted that if you can, you would do a one-stop strategy at Monza to get around the quickest. So, I think they they threw everything at Red Bull, but I just don't think, you know, they just didn't quite cut the mustard. And unfortunately, that has sort of become their team, Um, you know, from kind of, I suppose, nearly a third of the way through the season. That was what we started to see. And unfortunately, it's, it's continued. Yes, I was kind of, I wasn't that displeased with the performance, I suppose. There was no gaffes, which is really important. It's about time that they clean up their act. But, you know, and I think they reacted well, as, you, as you've as outlined there, when things, you know, with the safety car and whatever things were happening. But it's just clear, even on the long straights and Mons, and for all the positivity that they were trying to drum up Ferrari, you know, they're just so far behind 
even straight line speed would surprise me. They're, they're they're behind the Red Bull and they know they're behind and all the strategy in the world ain't going to do any good if you just don't have the grunt in that engine and a lot of work needs to be done in the off-season if they're going to even begin to close the gap because Verstappen ain't going away. He's going to be there once again with Red Bull next year. But look, I suppose it, it's um, starting from Paul was good from, from Leclerc's point of view. I think overall the weekend was positive but they just need to carry it in now and they just need to be consistent and stop making mistakes. I think that's really what I think that's really what Tifosi fans want more than anything just you know a team to be proud of okay we don't have the power Red Bull around in front of us but we, we should be best of the rest and the fact that they've struggled to even you know consolidate that position uh, in the face of Mercedes and all the trouble that they face I think that's just kind of exacerbated the situation I think this year I think people are just more ang- people are angry with them but it's an opportunity yeah. lost I think is that fair? Yeah 100% and you mentioned pride there you know, Italian people generally are very proud, but no, none more so than Italian Ferrari fans. And I think they, you know, they're, they're right. You know, this arguably this team has the most storied history in Formula One and they should be able to expect the very highest of them and not be disappointed. You know, regardless of whether they have the best car or not, they should be able to, in some ways, just expect that things will run correctly and at a high level. And it is very frustrating and very disappointing when that doesn't happen because... You know, Ferrari te- fans tend to be Ferrari fans for life, so you're going to have yes, to we do. ups and downs. <laughs> but I think the downs are, are felt quite keenly, and um, there haven't necessarily been that many highs over the last couple of years, so it's it's a tricky one for them. That's a polite way of saying things have been crap, but I appreciate <laughs> you for saying it. Um, I should also point out I was a Jordan, a big Jordan fan back in the day uh, with Eddie Jordan, and I remember that fan club. I know somebody's <laughs> going to pick me up on that. But anyway, uh, before we move away from the top of the grid, uh, Sarah, we, we need to talk about George Russell. I mean, is this guy, like coming home in third, is this guy the most undervalued driver on the grid? Or, you know, he's got a good machine, fair enough. And he's got a much improved car. He's got all the additions now and the upgrades. But Mr. Consistency, once again. And, I mean, you know, you put this guy in a Red Bull, what's he going to do? You know, you put him, you even put him in a Ferrari, what would he do? I mean, I, I've just been so impressed because I didn't think, I thought he'd be overshadowed once again by Hamilton this year, but that's not mm. been the case. No, absolutely. He's he's fantastic. And, you know, as you say, he's kind of, he is flying under the radar to a certain extent, but I think that's actually working really well for him. Mm. And I think it's going to create a really solid foundation for him going forward. You know, similar to Verstappen at Red Bull, I can see George Russell being kind of the next, you know, Lewis Hamilton-shaped driver at Mercedes. And I think starting out really well, even if he didn't have, you know, the best car behind him for the whole season was super important and he's done a great job of remaining very kind of objective, you know, like when things were awful, he was being honest, but saying that there were silver linings. And then when things went well, he was very honest again and said, yes, this weekend was better than the last, but we're not sure why. I think he's he's playing, he's mm-hmm. playing the game perfectly, to be honest. And my hope is that if Mercedes get their development right for next year, we could see him kind of being a bit more aggressive in the competition for the top spots as opposed to sort of he's doing really well to achieve podiums and things like that but I think he he definitely has that ability to be more aggressive and to be getting a lot more wins yeah I agree to there and a quick word for Sir Lewis um, obviously 19 the grid finishing in fifth um, a good day at the office yeah I think so I think you know expectations wouldn't have been super high so I think you know definitely a result to be to be happy enough with it's kind of a you know, let's take the points and move on. And it'll be interesting to see how, how things go in Singapore in a couple of weeks' time because I know he loves driving there. So um, we'll, we'll see what he can pull out for that race. 
Yes, indeed. Further down the grid, uh, one of the most interesting stories uh, this past weekend, uh, Alex Albon, who drives for Williams, had to miss out because of appendicitis. He was replaced by Nick DeVries, and Nick uh, didn't do himself any harm whatsoever, bringing that Williams home in ninth. Yeah, he was absolutely amazing, and he actually only found out with a very short time period uh, on Saturday before qualifying that he was going to be involved in qualifying. So he then made it into Q2 um, and was kind of unlucky not to make it into Q3, which was really impressive on its own. And then he managed to convert that opportunity, as he said, to come come home in ninth. This is his first ever Grand Prix. He essentially had no preparation and he's just really, really impressed everyone. And, you know, people have been crying out for Nicholas Latifi to be dropped from Williams for a number of years now. And the way he overshadowed Latifi this weekend was frankly kind of embarrassing. And I think there's some some serious conversations will have to be had at Williams if they're not already being had. Obviously, Latifi has not yet been confirmed for next season. So I'm really curious to see what happens there. And an update on Alex Albon. Yeah, so poor Alex Albon had, as he said, appendicitis. He actually had an operation on Saturday, but unfortunately he had post-operation complications and actually had respiratory failure. So he ended up being put on a ventilator in intensive care, but luckily he responded well to that. And the team have said that he's due to be expected to be back in the UK on Tuesday. So thankfully he's okay, but definitely a, a very tricky few days for him. Indeed, and uh, hopefully he'll come back from that sooner rather than later. Now, we can't let uh, a week go by without talking about Danny Ricciardo. Uh, obviously, <laughs> disappointment in the end with the car breaking down on him, but it, it seems like every time he went on social media, he was either talking or dealing with something. So, there, obviously, his PR company are doing being paid overtime. What is the current update with him? I mean, is, is it as it was uh, heading into Monza? Did he do himself any favours before the car gave up on him? I think he did. I think, you know, obviously there was all the penalties kind of shook things up quite a bit after qualifying. So that did do him a a bit of a favor. But to be fair to him and Norris, they had quite a strong qualifying considering that Andrea Seidel had basically said during the qualification um, coverage on Sky Sports on Saturday that the track wouldn't suit them at all. So I think they were really kind of pleasantly surprised by that. And he did get a good start and was kind of managing to keep a good chunk of the field behind him. Obviously, he had the win in Monza last year, which was fantastic for him. But as you say, unfortunately, had to retire on that 47, which was a real shame because he was so close to the finish and could have scored points. But I think given how dismal the prior couple of races had been, I don't think it'll do his stock any harm. Things had become kind of quite negative in terms of his performance and how people were speaking about his performance. So hopefully this has helped him to move kind of closer to whatever the next step is that he's trying to secure. Yeah, and I look forward to that because I'm just sick of reading about it. I just wish he made a decision and we could just all move on. It's like everyone's talking about Daniel and he's not even going to be there. But anyway, um, if, if a seat does become available, I think Formula 1 teams could do worse than take take him on. I think a renewed um, bite, I, I think just a renewed hunger as well from him. Maybe not mm-hmm. in as powerful a car, but to show what he could do. It just clearly hasn't worked out for whatever reason these things happen. But yeah, from his own point of view, it would be nice to see him in Formula 1, but we will have to wait and see. We finish this week before we talk about what's coming up uh, next weekend beyond um, why because uh, this is a question that a lot of people are asking can you explain Sarah as best as you possibly can the safety car finish this past weekend because it was most frustrating for a lot of people a lot of Formula 1 fans who would understand the rules but for those who don't um, you know disappointing end to put it mildly to what was a decent race up to that point 
yeah and I think that was from what I understand that was a large reason for the booze at the end as well I think fans were just really disappointed to not see the race finish under actual race conditions so essentially a full safety car was brought out because of Daniel Ricciardo's beached McLaren and there were only six laps remaining in the race at that point and the safety car came out but unfortunately picked up George Russell as the lead car rather than Verstappen so sorting that out delayed the safety car coming in they also said that Ricardo's car was stuck in gear, which took longer to sort out. And eventually the race finished under safety car conditions, even though a lot of the drivers were coming over the radio saying the track was clear, like we could have had a restart. So people were split on the issue. I think it was either you were in the camp where you thought, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if the end of the race is exciting or not, as long as the rules are followed correctly, particularly in the wake of Abu Dhabi last year. And then the other camp is saying, the principles of race management generally in F1 are, look, we don't want to finish under safety car conditions, um, regardless of what's happened in the past. Um, I think that's a dangerous precedent to, send, to set. Um, you know, Christian Horner stated that it felt like there was enough time to get the race going before the end, but that sounds awfully similar to the radio messages that were exchanged between yes. Red Bull and Michael Massey during Abu Dhabi. So I, I would be very wary of that kind of language. And I think I would personally rather, I don't, you know, regardless of which teams or drivers are involved, I'd personally rather see the rules followed and at least there's some sort of consistency and you know what to expect as opposed to a free-for-all for the sake of television. That would be kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I think that's a fair and balanced assessment, although we do like free-for-alls, but yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, and safety, as you said, has to come into it. Uh, whether people like it or not, it saves lives, so there's no arguments when it comes mm-hmm. to that. Uh, the driver standings, uh, the final placing, sorry, in the Monza in the Italian Grand Prix, Verstappen, first Leclerc, second Russell in the Mercedes, third Sainz, uh, fourth for Ferrari, and Lewis Hamilton, fifth for Mercedes. The driver standings, Max Verstappen on 335 points, way out in front of Leclerc in the Ferrari in 219. Perez is third on 210. George Russell in fourth on 203, Sainz 187 and 5th and Hamilton up to 6 now on 168 points. Uh, Red Bull are flying away with the, the Constructor Championship. The, the real fun there is after the second, third and fourth positions how they'll play out. But we have a bit of a wait now Sarah um, mm. for our next one and that's not until 2nd of October in Singapore and that's because the Russian GP which was due uh, to be held obviously uh, in the interim is obviously gone for obvious reasons in the war uh, that's still raging uh, between themselves and Ukraine. But Singapore is a while away. I suppose does it give teams an opportunity if they're allowed to do a certain amount of testing? Would that, has that been allowed now because of the Russian GP or are they just packing up and getting ready for the final leg of what's been a grueling season. I think so. There will be some upgrades coming in Singapore, so I think it'll be it'll be an interesting couple of weeks to see how they can you know things can come in there. I think the tricky part of the breaks in this part of the season is that the cost cap becomes an issue for for teams. So they're only allowed to spend a certain amount of money each year on development. So at this point of the year, you're really getting very close to, if not meeting that point. So I think they will be restricted in terms of what they can do in the next couple of weeks. But purely from a race standpoint, I absolutely love Singapore, personally speaking. Um, I love all the night races. I think it's it's just a fantastic weekend. So I'm really, really excited to, to see what it produces. 
Indeed, it looks spectacular. That's the one good thing about it. The uh, the aesthetics certainly are good for Formula One in that uh, in that particular race. And as we said, it may well see Max Verstappen crowned world champion, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, another action-packed Formula One uh, Grand Prix in the bag, brilliantly analysed as ever by you, Sarah. Where can we find you in the meantime uh, on social media? Yeah, so I actually have a, a video out at the moment on my channel all about Ferrari. So if uh, if folks Ooh. want to search Sarah McKenzie F1 on YouTube, you'll find me there. And you'll also find me on Twitter at MacTweets underscore and on Instagram at MacGram underscore. Excellent stuff. Sarah, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks very much. Thanks, sir. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. EchoLive.ie and Echo Newspaper Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan join me in this week's Big Red Bench to discuss the latest round of the Cork LGFA Senior Championship results, including Ada maintaining their perfect record and finishing top of the Senior Championships Group 2, courtesy of a 2-15-1-6 win over Inch, Aero defeating Kinsale, Mornabi proving too strong for Valley Rovers, and a look ahead to this weekend's mouth-watering clash between Mornabi and Aero, a rerun of last year's county final. We also reviewed Glanmire and Castlehaven's latest Intermediate County Championship wins and there's a recap of the current Junior A Championship standings where Donnie's, O'Donovan Rossa and Neva Bon are battling it out for a place in this year's Junior A County Final. Now, delighted as ever to be joined by the Chief Sub-Editor of Echolive.ie and the Echo Newspaper, uh, Rory Noonan, back to the Big Red Bench to talk about all things Cork LGFA Club Championships. Rory, you're welcome back again, sir. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for taking the time out of your hectic schedule uh, to speak to us. It's been another busy weekend across the grades, but our focus starts as ever on the Senior Championship. And in Group 1, the two heavyweights were in action last week. Uh, the two teams that contested last year's county final, uh, Morabi, who won it, and Aero, who were runners-up. Aero registering a big win over Kinsale, and Morabi doing likewise over Valley Rovers. No surprises here, Rory, um, and some big scores from the two favourites for this year's championship. No, I mean, it would have been predicted wins for the two of them and both have 100% records so far this season and really wasn't, it wasn't going to end last weekend. Um, I suppose, I suppose from a more heavy point of view, like the Durban had won over quite a day. She only got one six last weekend. Like, you know, when you say that, like that, it's amazing when you say, but she only got one six. But, but really they were two expected wins. Um, and they're, they are the two powerhouses in, in that. And the others really now are, are, are playing for the lesser places at this stage. There's only one of the matches left, as you know. But really, it's, it's more than Abbey Aero driving on towards a potential meeting again further down the road. Yeah, potential. We're always saying that because you just never know in the Ladies Football Championship. But it does look, based on the early results and scores, especially as you said, Darren O'Sullivan weighing in with 1 6, Kiro O'Sullivan and her sister getting 7 points, Laura Fitzgerald 4, Ellie Jack 3, Deirdre Cronin, uh, a name we're going to be hearing a lot about. She got a goal, Breed O'Sullivan got a goal, and Mara Callan also getting on the score sheet there for them, uh, for Morn Abbey in a big win over Valley Rovers. Valley Rovers now, of course, their first year up. Rory, um, they knew it was going to be difficult. They obviously knew this was a real, real test, as hard a test as they could have asked for last weekend. But there is the Senior B Championship, which offers them a, a, a chance um, at possibly gaining a victory, um, one senior victory, which might, just might, save their senior status. Oh, yeah. Uh, I suppose, like, really, you know, they're, they're, they're next weekend, is it, is it, is it, they're, they're, they're finished at this stage. They, so they can't actually win. They're finished, so they can't. They're out there on zero points, unfortunately. So it looks like they could be heading potentially into a relegation um, battle with, with Inch. We'd have to get that confirmed maybe a little bit down the road. But but my reading of the situation is that Kinsale play for my next weekend. The winners of that would finish third, and that will have a bearing on who plays who in the Senior B Championship in, in the semi-finals there. 
But I think, unfortunately, for Valleys, they're looking at a potential relegation battle within two overs of the stage, which really, I suppose, is, is very unfair when you're when you're first season up, you know, and you're you're going to be up against it. It is coming up a level, uh, and and to be possibly facing going back down again straight away is very is, is tough. It's very very tough. So hopefully, that won't happen. But then I suppose on the flip side, then if if that if that uh, predicted match goes ahead, as I think it will be Valley Rovers and Inch, you know, it'd be terrible to see a club like Inch who have a long, long history in this competition going down as well. So really, there's there's no winners in this, no matter what happens with these two at this stage. There isn't really. I think the saddest thing from Valley Rovers' point of view is, as Dennis Coyley would tell you himself, they haven't been at full strength until just as recently. They've had all their players back available again, and Inch have been missing a few too. Um, but just so people understand, the top two in each of the senior groups, groups one and two, go into the semi-final of the Senior Championship third, fourth and fifth then uh, play off for the Senior B Championship but those places aren't decided yet but whoever loses in the Senior B quarterfinals there'll be two quarterfinals the two losers of those games will go into a relegation playoff the loser of which will drop down to the intermediate grade for 2023 the other game that we just spoke about there Rory Air Oak putting 4-13 up on Kinsale is no mean feat at all uh, when you consider uh, I suppose one of the headlines to come out of it from Kinsale's point of view, Cy Boleri's return, she was out uh, in the United States and, and travelling uh, with the two Kylies from Valley Rovers and a number of other people. Good to see her back. She got on the score sheet with two points. Orla Finn once again with two points. Um, and Lorraine, uh, Jenny Murphy with 1-1 for Kinsale. But the form of Aeroke this year, um, considering they're, they're looking to get back to another county final, having played so well in last year's uh, final and losing to Mornabby. Uh, they put up a big score, as we said, 4-16. Seven points coming from Emer Scally, then Marie O'Leary, their full forward at 1-3. Emma Cleary 1-1, Laura Cleary with a point, and Orla Cahalan weighing in with two goals. It looks, as we said earlier on, all signs are pointing towards Aerog, possibly getting into another final with Mornabby. But this weekend's clash between the two will be right, very interesting. Absolutely, yeah. and you, you, you wonder with what way they would approach uh, the, the match next weekend. Are you going to have maybe a bit of them, um, you know, holding something in reserve and, and, not, and not playing their full hand? Or are you going to also, on the, on the other side, you're going to say, well, we're, we're going to lay down a marker here. I, I, I really think, beyond knowing these two teams, I don't think there'll be too much held back next weekend. And I suppose you have to give massive, massive credit there, all because you go back to only a couple of years. And they played, they played Mornabi in the semi-final and Mornabi put, I think it was 10 goals past them on the day. And from that, they've turned around in, in a very, very short period of time to now be the serious challengers and probably the main challengers to, to Mornabi at this point. I know one or two others will have, will, will, will slightly disagree with me on that. But I mean, it's, from an old point of view, you really do must give them massive credit of what they've done over the last couple of years to turn that around from, as I said, a heavy defeat. Only I think it was maybe three years ago at this stage mm. uh, and to now be a serious contender for, 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 for our overall honours. But next, next Sunday is going to be a, a very, very interesting game. And as I said, you know, some people might say they might be a bit coy. I think these two are just going to go for it. They don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they know any other way, to be fair. And uh, hopefully that would be the case. That should be an absolute cracker. Possible precursor, as we said, to a county final. Into Group 2, and it's Ahada, who have finished their own Robin uh games with four wins out of four mightily impressive stuff from Mahada this this year uh, 214 to 16 their latest victory over in Trovers and I suppose the talking point from this one uh, yet again Rory it was the, some of the scorers involved Hannah Looney's having a great season since coming back she got 1-5 and a certain Amy O'Connor weighed in with 1-2 yeah Amy 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 has been very impressive since she's, she's joined them and as I said like Amy had played football up to at a minor level with Cork and um, was a fabulous soccer player as well in her day. Like so, she's well able 
and, and she's proving it. Her pace has been something that, that they've added to their attack, you know, which is another another asset for them. And then I suppose if anyone is capable of setting this 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 potential final between Mornavi and Rogue, then Ahada are certainly capable of doing it. And they will they will relish the fact that they will be going in as as, as underdogs into into a semi final. So they look forward to that and they certainly will, will, will you know pending we'll know after next Sunday who they're playing. Um but they certainly won't fear either one of them and they look forward to, to, to getting their hands on on the, the big two as we call it, or big two as they have been for the last couple of years. Mm. And as you said with Amy O'Connor, Looney, the Leahy's, Roisin Feeling, you know, I had a very, very good squad now and they're the one they're they are more than capable of of, of, of upsetting this potential more year old final down the road. Indeed, and they've been one of the most improved teams in this grade this year, so they've a lot to play for and a lot to look forward to four or four, you can't argue with that. The runners-up spot in Group 2 is still very much open. Bright Rovers currently sit there on six points when there are three games, but we record this podcast ahead of the match between Clonakilty and St. Val's. Clonakilty have three points, Val's yet to put a point on the board, but the outcome of that Clonakilty-Val's game, uh, Rory, if Clonakilty win, and it's an if, but if they win that game, they and Bright Rovers are essentially playing off for the second semi-final next weekend when the two sides meet. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and and I would I would expect Clan to to, to, to beat Val's, uh, you know, on, on, on current form. Uh, I would think Clan would just be that little bit too strong for Val's. So I think that it will become very much a, a you know winner takes all game between between Clan and Bright next weekend. And if you're Clan going into the Val's match. And you know what's at stake. You know that's that's an added incentive for you at at this point of the season. So they're definitely, you know, I would think Clan will come through the Vals game, and then it, as I said, it'll be between Clan and Bride then, and that's going to be a, a fabulous, fabulous challenge. You know, I mean, they're two very, very good sides with 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 um, and it's a question, I suppose, can the Clan defence hold the likes of Katie Cork and a couple mm-hmm. of others? You know, Carney as well for 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 Bride Rovers. Grace County, so I wonder in the case of can they hold them because in fairness to Clan, they are a very, very well balanced side and are capable of, you know, of causing upset on any day to anyone. But I think it could be that that again could be another cracking match next weekend. Uh, and two good games about well worth seeing next weekend. Absolutely, as you said, and uh, lots still to play for, but we'll know the permutations for certain after next weekend's games. We'll have a roundup, of course, as always, on the big red bench. Moving to the Intermediate Championship, just very quickly, Glanmire, a side we spoke about last week, Rory, they put up a 4-12 to 6 win over Ross Carberry in Group 1 of the Intermediate Championship last week, and what that means is Glanmire will be at home in the uh, Intermediate County semi-finals. Of that total, Orla Roach popped up with 3-5, and Lucy Green with 1-1, Sarah O'Brien and Rena Crowley with two points each, Ellen Murphy and Neve McAllen also weighing in there uh, Ross Carberry do go through to the semi-finals by virtue of the fact that it's a three-team group but uh, good to see Glanmire always in and around the business end of the championship when it comes to the intermediate uh, Rory as you know and they'd be looking to go one step further this year Oh ab- absolutely and, again, I, and as I said in, in previous uh, conversations we've had you know the fact that they played in the senior league this year I think has definitely brought them on even more and they will you know they will they're, they're, they're two wins so far has put them in, in, in a good spot. Um, and I've no doubt they will go into the, the, the semi-final, you know, ex- with a home advantage, which should potentially see them through to the final. And then it's an interesting thing, who will they be playing is, is, is the big question because on paper, and I know you haven't mentioned it yet, but Castlehaven, uh, um, you know, will, 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 will be, will be fancied on the, on the other side. Um, Haven will probably be playing Ross Carberry in the semi-final and, you know, a battle like that. 
is, is not going to be one that, uh, that that either team are going to want to lose. So that should be a very, very interesting game as well. It should, and that follows on from last weekend's uh, Castellavon travelled to Aragland Desmond's Bui in Group 2 of the Intermediate Championship. Both sides were unbeaten coming into it. Uh, it didn't get off to the best of starts for Castellavon, but they steadied the ship and they eventually won out 5-16 to 1-12. Um, and what that means, and on the score sheet for them, I have to mention here, Nevo Sullivan got four goals and a point. Moreto Driscoll won six. Eilish Mohan, three points. Rachel Welton, two points. McGrania Sullivan, Siobhan Courtney, Hannah Sheehy and Becca Sheehy also uh, contributing. Uh, again, showing the, the depth of the forward talent that they've got at their disposal. Our Glen are, um, are into the semi-finals as we said. They will now uh, face Glanmire in Glanmire. That'd be difficult for them uh, but it should be a good game. But the Castlehaven and Ross game, anytime there's a West Cork derby, it's always very hard to call. But this Castlehaven team Rory are on a roll they're on a roll winning uh, county championships at junior level over the last number of years they came through at the hard way against Donnie's last year in the junior A on free kicks as we've mentioned before but they're just such a well balanced side it, it, again we're speculating but if if, if, we, if it goes to form a Glanmire and Castlehaven with the greatest respect to Ross Carvey and Eric Glenn is the final that I think that you would expect from two favourites in this year's championship and what a game that could be Absolutely, and uh, and and you are right. Like it's it's you know that that would be what would be the expected uh, final in a couple of weeks' time. Um, be interesting from a Glenmore point of view, having lost the clan last year. You know there's a determination there to get up, but but you know credit to, credit to Castlehaven, as you said, came up from junior last year, and and now knocking seriously on the door of going up senior the the, the following season. I mean that's that's huge for Castlehaven. And like the, the work they've been putting in down there over the last number of years is paying off. And it's sure and, and you know, don't rule them out beating beating Glenmire to get to the final, you know. I wouldn't mm. I certainly wouldn't be uh, betting against the Haven if it come if, if these two teams end up in the final, you know, I um, it could be another hard love story for, for Glenmire because I just think there's a momentum with, with, with Castlehaven there at the moment mm. and you know, that, that winning momentum and winning mentality that they have could might very well see them through. I know we're going down the road as Marble when I say that, but you know, I would be um it I would be slightly favouring the Haven to come through altogether even at this stage in the end there. Indeed, one of the more interesting championships as ever is the intermediate one. And just quickly behind it, we finish up this week with a look at the junior A championship and a three way tie at the top naval born. Dohanese and O'Donovan Rossa all on six points and that's because Neva Vaughan travelled to Douglas and won 4-5 to 0-8 last weekend while Donnie's entertained Bera uh, in Dunmanway and uh, they won that game uh, comprehensively 3-14 to 0-4 interesting there to note as well um, that uh, it, uh, Anya Terry O'Sullivan lined out for Bera and got three of their four points but it was Melissa Duggan Ruth Collins and Noel O'Mahony who each got 1-1 this is a very interesting championship Rory because as I said there's six team, three teams on six points the top two only go through to the final so this this weekend's game between Neva Vaughan and O'Donovan Rossa, who are joint top, is a huge one for both clubs. Well, absolutely, and, and I mean, you you mentioned Donnie's there as well. You know, they, the, the way they lost out last year, there's a you know they will want to be uh, making sure that they, that doesn't happen this year and they get back up. So, like to pick a winner out of, out of the junior championship is almost impossible at this stage. And uh, you know, you you want you. you know, they win the lottery easier than pick the winner there at the moment is going. But that said. As you said, next weekend will tell a lot, and and will be we we'll have a we we'll have a clearer picture come next week of where of where we're at with everything. But that that should be another very very entertaining game next weekend. 
It should indeed. Lots to talk about. Lots to look forward to this weekend in terms of throwing times. Uh, CorkLadiesFootball.com website has a fixture section there where you can go online and see what games are coming up. But um, you're probably your club homepage on Facebook or on social media would have updates if there are changes to the throwing times this weekend. Have a look because the headline act, as we said already, we talked about it, is the Moran Abbey Aero Clash. That was going to be some game, but there's lots of games going across all the grades and below the junior A grade as well uh, throughout next weekend. As we said, uh, we'll have a much clearer picture next weekend we may may even be able to preview some county semi-finals who knows but for now to the uh, chief sub-editor of the echo live.ie and the echo newspaper you can find all rory noonan's writings online and in the newspaper throughout the week rory once again from everyone here on the bench thanks very much for joining us thanks john my pleasure the big red bench saturday and sunday from 6 p.m our resident Munster women's rugby expert Wendy Keenan is back on the Big Red Bench this week to discuss the Munster 18 and a half's narrow Irish women's interprovincial loss to Leinster at Musgrave Park, why spirited performances in this year's Interpros bodes well for 2023, and what the future holds for the Munster players at under 19 level. Wendy also reviews the opening weekend of AIL Women's Division 1 games, including difficult starts for UL Bohemians and Ballancolic. That time of the week again here on the Big Red Bench and we're delighted to have Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson uh, Wendy Keenan back with us to go back over a very busy week of interprovincial and club uh, and a lot more besides on the Munster Women's scene. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm great, sir. Thanks a million. Uh, good to talk to you again. Um, it's been a busy time, but does, uh, we start with the Munster under 18 and a halves who played an absolutely cracking interprovincial game against their Leinster counterparts at Musgrave Park. Unfortunately, the result didn't go their way, but still a lot of positives to take from it, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, it was it was the tale of two halves, really, and um, with Leinster you know, having a very strong start and, you know, coming out victorious 10 7 in, in a nail biting finish. But I suppose, look, Leinster dominated, you know, possession really in the first half and, and Munster did really well defending, you know, for long periods of time and look, Leinster flashed the ball out wide and for an overlap and got in in the corner twice, um, which was, you know, it was a disappointing start. It was 10-0 um, at half time, but, um, you know, there was a lot of positives to take away. We were slow out of the blocks, I suppose, really, um, which we had spoken about before, you know what I mean, in the Connacht game. Um, and I suppose nervous start again for 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 some of the play, players, but by God, did a, sec, a different team come out in the second in the second half? And even as he came on as as a sub and crashed over the line, and and Katrina Finn secured the conversion, so it was all up for grabs then at ten seven. And look, a series of penalties for Munster, but they just couldn't get the ball over the line. Mm. So a, diff- a, a, a disappointing finish for them. But look, there's a lot of positives to take away, um, which is a really important. Um, and if I just talk about that for a second, like 18 of that 30 will be in the squad for the next interprovincial, which will be February. Remember, we're moving from 18 and yeah. a half into 18. Um, so that, that's the positive that they have that experience going forward. You know, we move back now to our county training model, um, which was adopted last season. So the girls will go back into an expanded squad. And I'm just going to mention all the problems, all the clubs that are represented here. We've Carrigonshore, Ennis, Tralee, Ballinac, Lillou, um, Ivora, Tarlis, Shannon, Feathered, Bantry, Buff, Kilrush, Ballincolly, Bandon and Dolphin. That just shows you the array that of talent that's out there in the province that, you know, these girls represented their clubs over the past three weeks. Yeah, and as you said, like the pathway that we've spoken about a lot 
on this podcast over over the over the months is hugely important for developing players for the senior side of things when they get there. But eighteen and a half is a very important age, and I think you'd probably be the first to understand better than most, Wendy, that like results are very important. Obviously, you want to win every game that you play, but what's more important here is that there's a, a togetherness and a bond within the teams when girls come into an inter, in, into an interprovincial setup, and also there's a hunger now. You know, I would imagine a lot of the girls that lost by three points to Leinster will be looking forward, shall we say to playing Leinster again come February even though it's a little bit higher up in the age group but the, you can't beat the experience of playing a tough, hard, tight interprovincial game um, because I would imagine as, as a player and as part of their development the girls will, uh, will have learned so much more they'll have learned more from that hour and a bit the la- last weekend than they probably would have in about 10 training sessions Yeah, I mean the expectation I suppose that's there now of what's expected from them as a player um, in those tough games they'll have learned that you know, a lot of them had very good game time coming off the bench as well, so they get that experience. And I suppose just to highlight, like five of those girls in that squad had actually come from the under-17 development summer programme that took place this summer. You know, we had the under-18 and a half and we had an under-17 development programme. So a lot of young girls, you know what I mean, are, mm. are, are getting the exposure of, of that. And by using the county models, we're finding players that are out in the corners of the province that might necessarily get this opportunity um, and as you said, look, you know, they're playing against, you know, fellow Irish players for some of them, but for other girls, they're tackling girls that are their role models that played with the Irish under 18 team last, um, last uh, April, May, you know, when they were, when they were away. And that's, that's huge for them as well. But also confidence is a big thing when it comes to this age grade and, the, you know, the, the pathway we talk about, the pathways that we have to Munster Jersey. But for some girls, it's the pathway into the adult game. And we know that there's a huge drop off from 18 to 20 year olds across all sports. And that's why it's so important. And for me, I suppose, you know, yes, the girls were disappointed and there were tears. But there were some of the girls were in tears because they knew it was their last time playing at it for an underage team, you know, before they go into that adult game. But I suppose they're a special bunch of girls and smiles followed. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen across social media the wonderful mm. photographs. And look, I had the pleasure of talking to the girls in the changing room afterwards and I was welcoming them into a very special family. You know, they put on that monster jersey and represented their province and nobody will ever take that away from them. Very well said. And as I said, uh, Munster coming up short to Leinster just by 3.710 defeating the Interprovincials in Musgrave Park last weekend. But that is not the end of this particular group of players. We were lucky enough to hear from Ellen Boylan uh, last week as well. And thanks again for arranging that interview for us, Wendy. And the positivity that you know she exuded, this, how, how she spoke about playing, what it means to represent Munster gives these players every chance of bouncing back and they don't have to wait too long because as you said the under 19s which the other provincials begin in February and that won't be long coming around between now and then hopefully they'll get a bit of experience with their respective clubs or colleges and we'll be talking about them in positive terms once again at the turn of the year we turn now from interprovincial to the club scene and the opening weekend of the women's AIL uh, senior league um, disappointing results for two Munster teams UL Bohemians and Ballon Colleague uh, but it's only the first weekend out and you know um, I suppose if you're going to lose uh, it's the best time to bounce back from Wendy let's start with UL Bohemians because they travelled to Old Belvedere and put up a really good performance before coming up short 14-5 Yeah they had they had a very strong performance and, and again they're I suppose bleeding through a lot of young players they have a, a young squad a nice mix I suppose between the experience and a lot of young girls this year and, and as you said 14-5 and when you look at the the lineup from Old Belvedere a really experienced team um, I always think at the start of the league no matter what sport it is you know because players haven't played in a while 
anything can happen week one, week two in terms of results. UL Bowls will be very disappointed that they'll have missed out the opportunity there in Dublin. But it's hard playing away from home and, um, you know, hopefully they'll bounce back this weekend and they'll be hosting Railway Union, which will be another very tough match for them. But it'll be like a cup final next Saturday. It certainly will. Um, disappointment for Ballancolic as well, because uh, but extenuating circumstances, they lost heavily to Galwegians up in Crawley Park, but um, missing a few players, uh, Wendy. Yeah, I, be, I believe, I, I was talking to somebody from Ballancolic, and I believe they were missing um, four or five players. Nobody's fault. It was a wedding, you know what I mean, on a Saturday, and uh, you know, these aren't pro players, so we can understand that. So they would have missed out on those players travelling up with them. Um, I think... It, this is a team that will get better the more matches that they play. Mm. They have only had one season playing at this level. They've worked really hard on their S&C work during the summer because they felt that was one of their deficits from last season. And I think, you know what I mean, like a good wine, they're going to get better with time. And um, and we'll see that you know I mean, as the um, as the weeks go on. Now, they again have a home fixture this weekend, but another tough ask for them. They host Old Belvedere, which who will come with a, a wealth of experience, really, when they travel down. But we, we wish both of them, both clubs, the very best of luck next Saturday. Indeed. And look, it's early days, as we said, at the very top level. Let's not forget these two teams are playing at the very top level, Division 1 of the AL Women's uh, Division. And uh, we wish them well in both of those matches. We'll have uh, reviews of both of those results in next week's podcast. We finish this week's uh, uh, chat, Wendy, on the subject that's been in the front and the back pages quite a bit during the summer months, and that's pro contracts. So what is the latest yeah. in terms of uh, of the professional contracts? Yeah, I suppose, look, there's a lot of talk and a lot of rumours, I should say, actually, in relation to the contracts and what format they will say, what, what they will take. A lot of people are saying, oh, the contracts will, will be based out of Dublin. Nothing has been clarified in relation to that. Um, you know what I mean? So the... My understanding is that Amanda Bennett's review, which we all know about, recommendations are being ready, being I suppose being prepared for sharing um, with the union committee, and I expect those to be published shortly. And then we'll have Gillian McDerby, who's head of the Women's Performance, the new appointment. She's been out in Japan with the 15s and South Africa last week um, with Ireland sevens. So she'll be travelling back, and and I suppose she'll take a bigger picture in relation to what's the elite performance pathway for girls and how the contracts are going to feed into this so um, she'll have time to review that and and hopefully I would imagine in the next month we will hear exactly what that landscape and blueprint will be for those contracts Um, I know there's an awful lot of talk about them at the moment but all rumour as as at the moment um, until that those recommendations from the review are are released and, um, and discussed at union level. Yeah, and and at that point we'll be able to talk a bit more in depth, Wendy. To be fair, as you've said, so many rumours swirling around at the moment. It's not. Uh, let's not add to it. But um, once we have the facts and figures, um, life will be a lot easier to make out exactly what the next steps are. But these are interesting times. Hopefully, uh, long term positive times from women's rugby, not just in Munster but outside of it as well. Um, once again, we say thank you very much for your time with us here on the Big Red Bench, uh, Wendy Keenan, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks a million, Jared. Delighted to be here. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. 
Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.